of Ephesians here. It just keeps getting better and better. I'll say that next week too and the week after and all that. This is my favorite part of Scripture. And, um, I'm just I'm thankful to the Lord of what He's doing here at Whitefield and I'm thankful to the Lord that there are people who come here who really want to use, be used of God uh, with the little they have and say, Lord, here I am, use me. Uh, what a wonderful attitude to have. And let me ask you a question as we start this uh, today. Have you ever seen the Lord get a hold of someone's heart? Other than your own. I hope you can say you got a hold of my heart. But other than your own heart, have you ever seen the Lord really get a hold of someone's heart? Uh, I'll never forget when we were in Argentina, there was a guy named Fernando. I mean, Fernando was something else. When I met Fernando, he was living with uh, another girl um, he was a mooch, he was lazy, he would not work, um, he would not commit to anything, that girl was not his wife, uh, he was a horrible, horrible testimony for Christ, and uh, I remember sitting at the table, and he didn't even want to read the Bible, I mean, he didn't even want to do anything, he just was was there, and we, we, you know, we were there, and his girlfriend at the time was talking about how can this guy call himself a Christian and live the way he does and all this and that. And it was, it was amazing. Um, well, soon after that, I, I don't even remember all in the visit of what happened, but soon after that, Fernando started to come to church and uh, he broke it off with that girl. And he was coming and God got a hold of his heart and he got interested in another girl. And I had the wonderful privilege of doing premarital counseling with Fernando and this other girl. And let me just tell you something. The parents of that other girl hated Fernando. Said he was a mooch, he was lazy, he was this and he was that. And guess what? They were right. Yeah, I mean, it was hard to do premarital counseling with this guy. And um, I mean, the father's face, he, he did not want his daughter to marry this man. And he put three rules on Fernando. Fernando had to do these three things. And uh, of course, Fernando, did he do the three things? No, he did not do the three things. And, and I'll never forget sweating. I was, I mean, I was physically trembling. I was nervous to do premarital counseling because now we had to sit down with the father again after the father said, you need to do these three things to marry my daughter. And so we get there and we're, we're in, this, in this meeting and the father goes, okay, have you done number one? And Fernando goes, uh, well, I did half of it a little bit. Did you do number two? Well, you know, I didn't. Yeah, I did. How about number three? No, I haven't gotten to number three yet because I'm still working on number one and two. And then I got the shock. The father goes, okay, you can marry my daughter. I'm like, what? <laughs> you told him he had to do one, two, and three. He didn't even do one and two. And you're going to say it's okay? Yeah. The wedding comes. I had the privilege of doing the wedding. The mother is outside, would not come into the church. She is so mad. She hates Fernando. She wants nothing to do with this guy. And he's going to marry a daughter. I mean, imagine this. I'm about to do a wedding and, and, and it's tense outside. I got to come inside. I mean, I am nervous as can be. I, by the way, I'm never ever going to do premarital counseling again. This is, I mean, this cured me. I mean, it's like unbelievable. I mean, so I'm, in there, I'm, doing, I'm doing this and it was amazing. I'm doing this. She finally comes in with this mean face. She comes in. She's all upset. They get married. And I could not believe what God did in Fernando's heart. 
It is true. Your wife will make or break you. And Anna Lee is a wonderful woman of God. And Fernando started to get his life straight. Number one, two, and three, he got straight. He started to come to church and serve the Lord in amazing ways. He was leading music. She was working in different things. They started having children together, a lot of children together. <laughs> I mean, every time he saw Analia, she was pregnant again. I mean, unbelievable. One child, twins they had, another child. I think they were done, another one after that. I mean, they filled the church. I mean, were, I mean the nursery was booming with Fernando and Analia's kids. And just amazing. They moved in with her mom. Now they live together. Now they love each other. That is God. That is God getting a hold of a heart. That is God taking somebody who was useless to somebody who's being now used for him. I remember before we left <laughs> and Fernando was leading music and we were singing How Great Thou Art. It was our last service in Argentina. And Fernando, and I still get choked up about this, but Fernando was leading music and he looked over at us, me and Katie, and he just lost it and started weeping. It was amazing. I remember telling him, Fernando, you know what? You guys were an amazing surprise to us. We never imagined what God could do in a life like yours. And he's still faithful to the Lord today. When we look at scriptures and we see that, we got to understand something, that leaders come to churches and are gifted to churches in order to equip the saints. And you say, what, what does that mean to equip the saints? Well, if you ever study that word equip out, it means to take something from a place of effectiveness to effectiveness. Or it's used of a medical term of a setting of a bone. And let me just say this, when we all come to church, we're all broke in one way or another. Some come more broken than others. Some, their lives are an absolute mess. Others, their lives are okay. Some think their lives are okay and they're a mess. But no matter what, we come and even the pastors come, we all come broken and yet the Lord has a way of mending, bending us and, and, and using us and bringing us to a place of being useless, to a place of being useful for Him. That word equip means the setting of a bone. We have to be careful because if somebody comes broken, you don't throw a broken thing right into the water right away and say, you need to serve God now. There's a time of healing. There's a time of God getting a hold of the heart and working in the life. And there's a time of allowing God to do that. You say, well, well, how, how, how do they equip? Well, how, how do you equip? Well, obviously, one of the main ways we do it is through the teaching of the Word. I mean, we preach the Bible. We are teachers. We are ones that come. But, but there's another way that leadership equips. It could be in an informal way of just asking a simple question. It's amazing how you can heal somebody. And help somebody by just asking a question to them to spur them on to think, to change their behavior and get right with God. I'll never forget when I was scared to go to the mission field and some guy talked about how the Lord protected him. And he said, if the Lord could protect me on a demon-possessed island, don't you think God can protect you? 
That was a question. It got me. It changed me for eternity. There's other things that that God can use. Can you believe this? God can use an off-the-cuff comment to change somebody's life. I remember one sermon I was preaching, I told a dumb joke, which I never do. And uh, not one amen. I mean, it was pretty bad. And this girl, after the service, comes up to me in tears and says, you know that joke you told? Boy, God changed my heart, my life. My, my grandfather passed away. How you comforted me through a joke. That's why I keep doing them. <laughs> one day, one of my jokes is going to change your life. One day. I don't know when it's going to be. Whatever. But making an off-the-cuff comment. So this equipment, don't think of this mending and everything is just about somebody being in a pulpit or something. You can mend people in other ways. And you can help them in a variety of ways. And God wants to use each one of us to mend. Remember, as as we look at this here in Ephesians 4.12, it says the equipping of the saints for what? For the work of service. Don't miss that. The work of service or the work of ministry. Each believer has a part in serving God. Everyone. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has an ability that God has given for the building up of the body of Christ. Everyone is important. And God wants to use everyone. And that word work, we've seen that word work in Ephesians. You remember Ephesians 2.10? Who can quote Ephesians 2.10? For we are the His what? Workmanship. workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works. Good works. So God has created us in Christ to work, to have a ministry, to what? To the very building of the body of Christ. Don't miss this. When God uses each one in the body, the body is blessed and built up. And we're going to see how that is. We're going to look at it here in a moment. But as God uses each one, we are built up, we are blessed, we are edified, we are all that God wants us to be. Wow, and you have a part in that. And I have a part in that. And we just have a little part in that. And we're dealing with broken people. And and God wants to use us to mend one another and to help us to go from being ineffective to effective and being used of Him. And God wants to use... And we will grow. Here's how we will grow. We will grow by serving, not by sitting. And how does spiritual growth come into our lives as we serve, as we use the gifts that God has given to us? I, I remember when Harlan started coming here, and that's, that's exciting. Harlan, I love talking to Harlan because he's got that, that southern draw accent, you know what I mean? And I, I, I fear that that's how God talks when we get to heaven. I don't even know. How y'all doing? Coming to heaven here. I'm like, oh man, you know. I, I want God to talk like a New Yorker. How you doing? Come on in. But I don't think it's going to happen. But that southern, just that southern, don't you like that southern draw? I mean, don't you love that accent? But you know what I love about Harlan? I'm picking on you, Harlan. He's maybe beat me up afterwards. But Harlan, he says, you know, not only was he looking for a church to come to, but he was looking for a church he can be a help to. And God is using Harlan in ways you guys don't see. Somebody wrote a curse word on the side of our church. 
pretty nasty word. At least we know they know how to spell. I try to look at the positive things. <laughs> what does Harlan do? Harlan goes, gets the paint that we need for the stucco, paints over this stuff so we can't see it anymore. There was a tree that was in front of our, my window over here and, and uh, in, in the office. What does Harlan do? Harlan nicely takes the tree off and, and makes it nice and makes it... Harlan put the stuff... We didn't even ask him to do it. Put all the nice stuff. The, 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 what is it? The mulch. the mulch there and put all that stuff. I didn't even know what you did. Harlan. I didn't even know what you did. Behind the scenes. He never once said, Jeremy, would you put me in a bulletin and let everyone know what I'm doing? <laughs> He's just serving God. And the church is blessed and edified because of it. Behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. And so let's look what happens as we use our gifts. Watch what happens in the church. I love this passage because we're going to see four things that happen here. Spiritual growth. We're going to see doctrinal stability. We're going to see speaking the truth in love. And we're going to see contributing to the body of Christ. Notice this here in verse 13 it says this we are we are to serve the lord for the work of the ministry here we we, we equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building of the church now watch this in verse 13 here's what happens as we grow spiritually we come to what to the unity of the faith now, now don't miss this because what he's talking about here is that the primary doctrines of the bible the primary convictions of the Bible, we will have unity in that. Those are important. Those are non-negotiable. When you tell me who is Jesus, that's non-negotiable. He is God. He is the one who died for our sins. He's the one who was buried and rose again. He is the one who is coming again. He is the one who bodily rose from the grave. He is Lord. He is Savior. That's non-negotiable. Somebody says, well, how do you get to heaven? It is through Jesus alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. That is non-negotiable. Now, playing the guitar, that's negotiable. In fact, no one, and I don't want to offend anybody here, but no one is going to hell for playing the guitar. But they are going to hell for not believing in Jesus Christ. So let's keep an open hand on the, non, on the negotiables. The non-negotiables, we keep it closed. The negotiables, we keep an open hand. And we got to be careful not to make these the non-negotiables. And we easily do that. Oh, look at so-and-so. I see him with an NIV. They're in big trouble. I had one one time come here and grab my Bible and went like this. What are you using? I didn't even know what I had at the time. I had the NASB at the time. I think I had it all nervous. That's a negotiable. A non-negotiable is what we believe about Jesus Christ and salvation. But here's what happens. When you use your gift and I use my gift and we mend one another, we're going to come to the unity of the faith in the non-negotiables. 
We're going to have unity there. We're going to understand. And look what it says here right in this passage. In Ephesians 4.13, it says, In the knowledge of the Son of God, we're going to know Christ more. Because the more we know the Scriptures and the truths of the Scriptures, we're going to know our Savior more. We're going to understand who Jesus is more. It's all going to point to Jesus Christ. We're going to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And as that happens, notice in verse 13 what it says, We come to a mature man. We come to this spiritual maturity that God wants. Not a perfect man, but a person who reflects Jesus Christ into the world. That's what we want. I'll never forget, just about a week ago, uh, Johnny got run over by one of the kids. He was playing second base and he got run over by one. The other team was watching. How is Johnny the Christian going to react? The pastor's kid. And one of the kids came up to me and said, so tell me, was it Jesus or God that stopped Johnny from reacting wrong? And I said, Jesus is God. He goes, oh. He says, my turtle's my God. And, he, and then he goes like this to me, but my turtle didn't die for me. And I said, that doesn't leave you much hope, does it? But they're watching Johnny. How's he going to react? They're watching me, how I'm going to react. They are watching. And here's the amazing thing. As we use one another's gifts, they come to the unity of the faith. We know the scriptures. We come to the knowledge of the Son of God and we act mature. We show Christ wherever we are at. Let me show you something about this maturity to the measure of the statue of Christ. Notice with me in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to put up a couple of verses here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. These are wonderful scriptures to look at, to see where we are in our spiritual maturity. He says this, I am writing to you little children. 1 John 2, 12. Little children. How are people when they first get saved? They're little children. And here's, here's what they are. They understand that their sins have been forgiven. And so they may not know all the wonderful doctrines and all these things, but one thing they do know, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And they have that maturity and you ask them, so tell me about your spiritual life. Well, all I know is Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again. I accepted him as Savior and I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Amen. Don't stop there. Those are great things to know. But then he talks about younger men in verse 13. And younger men are what? These are people who have overcome the evil one. Notice this in verse 13. Young men, because you have overcome, they've had spiritual victory in their life. They not only know that they're saved, but they've gone to a maturity that they have spiritual victories in their life. Notice this in verse 14 about younger men. They're strong. Notice what it says. They're strong in verse 14. The word of God abides in them so they can quote scriptures to you and they have overcome the evil one. They have spiritual victory in their lives. And so there's some Christians who they're saved and they know they're saved and they, they have the forgiveness of sins and they're happy, but they stay there. That's not what God wants. And there's others who, who come to the point where they're memorizing the Word of God and the Word of God's abiding in their lives and they're having spiritual victories in their life. But don't stop there. There's the fathers. And look what it says in verse 14. I have written to you fathers because you know Him who has been from the beginning. 
you have a deep relationship with God. That's where we want to get. Praise God our sins are forgiven. And it's wonderful to know that. Praise God that you you can memorize some verses in the Bible and have some victories in your life. Praise God for that. But don't stop there. Continue to learn and know about the God of the Bible. It brings spiritual maturity to our lives. To have an intimate relationship with God. You know, it's amazing when you talk to people like Chalmer and other people is they've been walking with God for a very, very long time. Let me say He's been walking with God a very, 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 very long time. And he knows the God of the Bible. And he continues to have his devotion. I don't even know how many times he's read the Bible through. He continues to have his devotions and read the Bible through. He continues to learn about God. It's amazing. And so here's what he's saying here. As we use one another's gifts, we're going to grow to a spiritual maturity. We're going to have unity of faith. We're going to know our Savior. And we're going to grow in our knowledge of God. And we're going to reflect our Savior. And say, why is that important? Well, look at the next verse. Doctrine of stability. As a result, we are no longer what? Children. We're no longer children. You know what, what he's saying here? We're no longer gullible. We're no longer vulnerable. We're no longer people being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And let me just tell you something. I can't believe in the last just five years, all the different winds of doctrines that have been coming and sweeping the church away. I've taken contemporary theological issues I took it in, in 2000. It is so different now in 2021. The issues we fought in 2000 are not here anymore. We're fighting different issues. We're fighting woke theology. There's a great article out there called, How Do You Know Your Church Has Gone Woke? When the pastor gets up in the pulpit and says, All white people are racist. And you need to repent of your racism and get right with God. Where Max Lucado, who I appreciate and have read his books, had a park and prayer time confessing the sins of racism. Where Paul Tripp, who I absolutely love, who I can't think of any other author who has changed and challenged my life like Paul Tripp has. In fact, next week's book of the month is going to be by Paul Tripp. He's an amazing author. But now he's caught up in the woke movement. And here's what's happening. And little by little with these critical race theories, and we can go on and on with all this stuff, with gender equality. And basically, here's what it's saying. You could just not... Boil it down to this. Here's what we need to do. We need to change people by changing laws and changing the outward things, but not even talking about the heart. And here's what they're saying. We could end racism without the gospel. And here's our response. No, you can't. We can't end these things without the gospel. 
In fact, their very, very thing they say is that we're going to have, we're going to have wonderful liberty and all, once we get rid of all religions. And churches are buying that. And the garbage on the internet. And they're sweeping us away. And here's what's happened. We're children. We're gullible. We're vulnerable. Because we're not using our gifts to build one another up. And so now all of a sudden we're being tossed here and there. And now we're focusing on things that don't even matter. And notice as it says, we're carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. Here's why. Is racism wrong? Yes, you better believe it's wrong. But not all whites are racist. Let me just tell you this. You can, you can say this. Whites are racist. Blacks are racist. Jews are racist. This are ra- Italians, maybe not. But all of them are you know what I mean? You got all these racism out. Everyone is racist. You know why everyone's racist? Because we have a heart that's filled with sin. And so we have to fight it. And the only way we'll ever get rid of it is when Christ comes and cleanses our hearts. But yet people think we can stop it on the outside by just making more laws, defunding and doing all the stuff that they're doing and not even talking about the gospel. And the dangerous teaching is coming into the church so the church gets all excited about social justice. Yeah, we need social justice. I agree with that. But we need the gospel. And so we're all about painting someone's house and helping them that way, but we don't even give them the gospel. No one's getting saved that way. Or we're taking mission trips to India to build wells and dig wells. No one is getting saved that way. That's a wonderful cause. But let's not forget the real reason why we're here. And that's why he says this in the very, we're not to be children who are gullible, moving back and forth, believing any kind of thing, taking advantage of this, and by the deceitfulness, the trickery of men, using words, using different terms, and saying we need to do this. Here's what we ought to do as a church, and don't ever forget this. Here's it is, verse 15. What does it say? Speaking the truth in what? Love. Really, literally in the Greek, it says, truthing in love. <laughs> Living your life in absolute truthfulness. Let me, let me say this. Here's what's amazing. The truth in this passage is the truth of the gospel. So here's what he's saying. We ought to be committed to one another, having gospel conversations and building one another up with the gospel and sharing the gospel. Now, don't miss the words in love. Because there's some people who have passions about fighting for the gospel, but they don't do it in love. In fact, they're fighting on the internet. They're fighting in social media. They're fighting with their neighbors. They're fighting with other church members for the truth of the gospel. It's in the Bible. Eat it. That's not going to win anyone to Christ. But then there's other people who are so loving. They don't speak the truth. Oh, what a beautiful family. Yes, you're pregnant, ma'am. We're just so thankful for your sweet family coming to our church. We're so now. How many months pregnant are you, ma'am? Can you tell us? We just love you. Thank you for being here. We're just so nice. We just love everybody. But we don't speak the truth to them. 
Because we're so scared the moment the truth comes out, guess what? They're going to run away. So we're going to just love them and forget about the truth. Well, that's not what he says. We are truthing in love. I, I remember, and I've told this story before, but it always gets me. Katie reminded me of it. When little Joshua had his blankie with him. All our, our kids had blankets because I grew up with a blanket. They all had to have blankets. And so they had, they had blankets and it took me a while to give up my blankie. I don't know when it was, maybe a few days after I got married. But anyway, um, <laughs> Joshua had his little blankie and he would walk around with his little blankie and one day he's got tears in his eyes and he goes, he goes, Mama, is my blankie going to heaven? And Johnny looks at him and goes, your blankie's going to burn. That's truth. That's not love. Wow. Holy cow. Is he an evangelist at four? I mean, unbelievable. It is all going to burn. But that's not what you tell somebody when they got tears in their eyes. Whether or not. So as a parent, here's what you say. You won't be disappointed when you're in heaven. You won't be. That's an easy way of getting out of that one, right? <laughs> but some people, boy, they can tell the truth, but they rip people to shreds. That's not what he wants. But let me just tell you this. It is not love if we don't speak the truth. So don't think you have a loving relationship with somebody if you're not willing to tell them that Jesus died for them and they need to get saved. That is not love if you withhold that. We need to be speaking the truth in love. Both are needed. And as we use our gifts and stir one another up and, and mend what is broken, our conversations will change, our lives will change, and we will speak what is right, the gospel, in love to one another. And notice what happens here in verse 15. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. There it is. He's the one that nourishes and supplies the, the, everything we need for growth. But when we grow, we become more like him. He's the norm. He's the one. You say, did Jesus do it? <laughs> do you remember the rich young ruler? that came up to Jesus and said, Master, what do I got to do to get to heaven? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looks at him and says, well, you know the commandments. You should not do this, this, and this, and this. And, and his face lit up. Yeah, I've done all that. Then the very next verse in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it says this, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack Go and sell all you have and come follow me. See, Jesus got right to the heart. See, your trust is in your riches. Your trust is not in me. Go and sell what you have. Trust in me. Put all your trust in me. What did the rich young ruler do? He walked away from Jesus. And if you study the Bible, he is the only one that walked away from Jesus sad. People walked away from him mad. But this man walked away from him sad. Why? Because he had great possessions. Jesus spoke the truth in love. 
He looked at this person who needed him and said, go and sell and follow me. Come to me for life. So that's what we ought to do. Now here's what is amazing. Watch this. Truthfulness leads to Christ-likeness. As we speak the truth, live the truth, or absolute truth, we're going to become more like Christ. And notice what it says here in the next passage. Contributing to the body of Christ. Here it is. Here it is. From whom, now don't miss this, from whom the whole body, not just leadership, not just a selected few, not just a couple who have a servant's heart, the whole body, everyone here, whom the whole body being fit and held together. Now, God must have knew that one day I'd be in Colorado because look at this next phrase. By which every joint supplies. <laughs> Come on, that was a good one. All right, you guys can get it. You're in Colorado. You know what every joint supplies? Well, probably not, but every joint supplies. Interesting, every limb supplies. Supplies. Every, every little part supplies, everything that brings it together supplies. Watch the, watch the phrase that he used. According to the proper working. That word proper in the Greek is the powerful working. This is God working in each, of, in each one of our lives. According to the powerful working of each individual what? Part. Everyone has a part to contribute. One person put it this way. The church has become like hockey games. And a hockey game depends on which arena you go. You have 20,000 people cheering who are in desperate need of exercise. Watching, uh, uh, how many people are on a hockey team? Each person, each hockey team, how many is it? 10? 18. 18 eight, well, I mean, on, on the ice at one time. Oh, it's only five, six. six. Yeah, with the goal. Yeah, I'm sorry. My mind is dead. All right, so six. So now here's what it is. You got like 20,000 people watching who are in desperate need of exercise, watching 12 people who are in desperate need of rest. Churches have become like that. And that's not God's will. The proper working of each individual part. Let me say this. When there's an overworking of a part, deformities come out. Some of you know I have a bone disease. It's called Paget disease. I'm not entering any Paget places for, with this disease. It's ironic that it's named that. And basically what it is, somebody says, what is it? Basically what it is, it means my head is just going to keep growing until it pops. The bones keep growing and don't stop. And so deformities happen. We didn't know as a little kid, I, my alkaline phosphate was, was high. And I'll never forget, I was maybe about 10 years old and my mom comes into the house and she goes, Jeremy, you're abnormal. Amen. I said, thank you, mom. Yeah, yeah, amen. <laughs> Your blood's abnormal, Jeremy. I said, thank you. We went to doctors. No one knew what it was. I get married. I go to a doctor. He says, you know, your alkaline facetates high. He goes, oh, I know it's a little bump on your eye. He says, you may have Paget disease. And so I went. I got, I got uh, a needle in my arm. They did a scan of my body. And sure enough, there's bone growing in the eye. There's bone growing in the jaw. There's bone growing in the hips. There's bone growing in the head that shouldn't be growing. So what did they do? They gave me a, 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 it's like a chemo treatment that goes through the whole body that stops the bone. And it hurts. 
They did it 10 years ago. Praise the Lord, it stopped for about eight years. And then it came back. They did it again last year. Knocked me out. When there's an overworking of something, it knocks you out. It happens in churches. You have people with all kinds of gifts just sitting there. You got others with willing hearts that are willing to do it. They knock themselves out. That's not what God wants. It says here, the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, now here's what's amazing, which I, I thank God for. And I was looking at all this and I really get excited about it. I look at Rob and, and, and Barbara and how they're, they're helping the youth. And I'm thankful to the Lord for that. And it's really exciting uh, with God. And our church is blessed and built because of their ministry. And we're thankful to the Lord for that. I think of Kim and Debbie uh, helping the children out and, and the work that they're doing. And the body is blessed and built because I think that the worship team and God bringing Brian here with a sinful guitar and how the church is built... <laughs> and bless because of their ministry. And then you just go down the list and think of the people behind the scenes. One Sunday, let me just tell you what happens on one Sunday, what has to happen. There's people in technology, sound room, there's people doing bulletins, there's people in nursery care, there's people cleaning the church, there's people mowing the lawn, there's people doing stuff on the outside. We got children's church going, we got nursery going, we got financial secretary going, we got counters going, we got scripture going, we got slides going, we got all kinds of things going. One Sunday. People out in front, people behind the scenes. And yet, let me tell you, everybody in those things, the body is blessed and built because of it. So the question is, is this, how are you helping build and bless Widefield Community Bible Church? Don't leave here thinking you're not important. You are. God has gifted you to help us mend and be all that he wants us to be. And he can use a question that you may say or an off-the-cuff comment or a little ministry that you may do that no one ever sees. <clears throat> How many people in the church didn't even know someone put a curse word over there, but yet Harlan helped with that. And the church is blessed and built because of your ministry. What a wonderful privilege it is to be a part of what God is doing. And it's not to bring any glory to us. It's to bring all the glory to Him. When I get to heaven, God's not going to be standing up giving me a round of applause for what happened to Fernando. God did that, not me. But I'll tell you, it's a joy to watch Fernando. Live for the Lord. When you see the little kids come out of children's, look how excited they are to go to church. They didn't want to hear me pre Kim, you ruined them. <laughs> when they come to our church and they know they're going to be cared for. When Ben, in his older age, I won't say how old he is, comes to church early just to listen to the music. Because he's blessed by the music. When people come here and say, you know what, I'm loved. People really care about me here. 
You have a part. God's using you. And so as we do that, we grow. We're not going to be children being tossed to and fro. We're going to have doctrinal stability, speaking the truth in love and contributing to the very body of Christ. So ask yourself today, God, what am I doing to help build and bless Widefield Community Bible Church? No matter how small it is, help me to be useful for you. I'm thankful that my kids, even at an early age, we used to go out and hand out tracts and, and we would hand them out in front of the church and there they are, little Ellie, little Johnny, little Joshua, with tracks in their hands, trying to help people out. Being used of God. Just a little part. I'm glad Johnny didn't talk to him because he probably would have told him they're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be used. Ellie comes up and sings. I thank the Lord for that. Joshua, when, when my brother-in-law is not here, is back on the technology. It frightens him, but he does it. Johnny helps downstairs. I'm thankful to the Lord. Abigail with a little smile, how she greets me. I'm thankful to God. God wants to use each part of the body. You are important here. And you say, but I'm broken. So am I. But we're here to mend one another. And to help one another be all that God wants you to be. You guys know the Geyer family. What you don't know is the first Sunday they came here, we went out to Culver's. And we sat there with tears in her eyes, crying on how they had a horrible experience and they were hurting people. They came here broken. But God, through your love, through the churches gathering around them and helping them, healed them. And they went from being ineffective to effective in his body. It hurts when a body part is ripped out and leaves. But now we need someone else to fill that up. Let's bow before the Lord. Our Lord, we, we thank you so much as we look around and see the different broken lives and and how you use people to mend us and help us to be all that you want us to be. And growing spiritually doesn't come by just sitting there and hearing a message. Spiritual maturity comes as we serve you with the gifts that you've given to us. We come to the unity of the faith and we hold the essentials firm, non-negotiable. We hold the non-essentials, the things that really don't matter in all eternity, with an open hand. We come to a full knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, we reflect His character in our lives so that we're no longer being tossed to and fro with all these wind of doctrines that are out there distracting us from the gospel. We become a church committed to speak the truth, but in love. Because we care about the well-being of others. So we share the greatest message we can ever share with them, that Jesus came to die for their sins, was buried, and rose again. And Lord, as each part contributes, your church is being blessed and built.
So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has a gift that's unwilling to use it, that, Lord, that you would change hearts right now. That they would say, here am I, use me. It may be a ministry out in the open or a ministry behind the scenes. But whatever it is, every little part blesses and builds the church. Thank you for that. Thank you that you are the source of that. Thank you that you empower us to do it. Thank you that we don't have any excuses not to do it. So Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here at Widefield. And thank you so much for the people who are working both in front and behind the scenes. Oh God, we're so blessed. So many different people doing different things, using what you have given to them. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We ask you to continue to build your church. And may in the end, you get all the glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Close the service once you stand with us. The reason.